Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. If you're a fan of cars doing the driving for you in all the various versions and stages that that technology is in today, I've got exciting news for you. GM is doubling the number of roads that Super Cruise hands-free driver assist systems can be used on. Right now, it's about 200,000 miles of drivable roads in the database. By the end of the year, they say 400,000 miles in the U.S. and Canada. Now, the reason for this is because the driver assist, like many other self-driving or semi-autonomous systems, works with a combination of what the car itself perceives driving down the road through cameras and LIDAR and other kinds of technologies, but also a very rich database of information about the roads themselves. And so even though your car could do a fairly good job of self-driving without all of the additional information, GM doesn't think that it's safe to do it that way until you have the full suite of data. For example, Super Cruise uses cameras, radars, GPS, and LiDAR. But that's in conjunction with precision map data to keep the vehicle traveling on the proper path. And it's why, for example, when Super Cruise first launched, you could only use it on divided highways. But now they're adding smaller roads, such as Route 66 from Chicago to L.A., the Pacific Coast Highway up the coast of California, Florida's Overseas Highway, and the Trans-Canada Highway. So you're seeing more and more places where you can safely engage this technology. And you're seeing more and more vehicles that are going to have it. The first application was the Cadillac CT6, then the Escalade. It's also on the Chevy Bolt EUV, the Silverado 1500, the Sierra 1500, and the Hummer EV, Cadillac Lyric, and others. And if you're wondering how it works, well, it's pretty simple. To initiate available Super Cruise, press the Adaptive Cruise Control button. Then press the Super Cruise button and center yourself in the lane. When the steering wheel bar and icons turn green, simply take your hands off the wheel and enjoy the ride. So basically, with the click of a few buttons and a little bit of patience waiting for that happy green light to come on, you go from being an ordinary driver to being a front seat passenger plus in the driver's seat. However, you do have to stay and watch the road. There's actually a suite of cameras that are trained in part on the driver to make sure that your eyes are looking down the road so that even though you can do some casual sightseeing as if you're a passenger, it still wants you basically paying attention to the road in case something crazy happens. I will tell you from my own part, it's that in case something crazy happens part that makes me worry that maybe it's in case things all the time. <laughs> Just my own personal willingness to trust my life and the life of my kids to one of these systems is at this point a little bit limited. But that is certainly not stopping the technology from developing. Ford, for example, has a competing system called a Blue Cruise that's also hands-free. The sections of roads that it wants you driving on are called hands-free blue zones, and it's about 130,000 miles of North American roads. The Ford version works with adaptive cruise control, lane centering, and traffic sign recognition systems. One does wonder about construction zones, but I won't ask these questions just yet. Like Super Cruise, it has a camera pointing at the driver to make sure they're paying attention to the road while the technology is engaged. And then you get to the next level. Like those are considered level two hands-free driving assist technologies, the GM and Ford. And then there's Volvo. 
Volvo has the Ride Pilot system that allows drivers to take their eyes off the road while driving entirely. It uses eight cameras, five radars, 16 ultrasonic sensors, and an iris LiDAR sensor. It'll also pour you a soft drink and cook a hot dog. Or maybe I didn't read that exactly, but it does some stuff for you. And now if you do lean like I do towards not embracing this technology too rapidly, I have great news for you. It'll be all around you on the road regardless of whether you embrace it or not. So cherish that thought. And now, in the blue corner, weighing up to 1,000 pounds, stretching 12 feet in length, we have the American Alligator. His opponent in the red corner, weighing up to 200 pounds, stretching to a length of nearly 20 feet, the invasive species and challenger for the title, the Burmese Python. It does kind of read that way when you think about the question of which is the true apex predator in South Florida these days, the native American alligator or the invasive species Burmese python brought over in the 70s because people thought they'd be good pets and then let loose on the environment to reproduce and dominate. So Newsweek put the question to a wildlife biologist with the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. Ian Bartizek says both the alligator and the Burmese python are apex predators. You can't both be apex predators. An apex is one, right? But back to his answer. Within the greater Everglades ecosystem and would encounter each other through a range of size classes and habitat types. So basically what he's saying is that if you have a full-grown alligator, he'll take a juvenile Burmese python. If you have a full-grown Burmese python, he'll take a juvenile alligator. Full-grown both size, both types of animals? Well, I guess it's Godzilla versus the giant snake beast? In any case, we have evidence going both ways. They have tracked Burmese pythons into the bellies of alligators, and they have found small alligators in the bellies of larger Burmese pythons, meaning that they're both not afraid of a fight. Of course, the challenge is that the entire ecosystem of South Florida, and other parts of Florida too, is built around the presence of the American alligator, who is indigenous. But with the Burmese python invading, you've seen a significant drop in the presence of smaller creatures in the entire region. And of course, the eventual question is, which of these two so-called apex predators is going to wind up being the actual apex predator? Or will they seek some kind of a mutual semi-coexistence where they're constantly destroying each other or ignoring each other? All I know is I don't particularly want to find either of them in the ditch when I'm walking, but I do believe that either of them would make fantastic cowboy boots. And finally, from the interesting sports that ancient peoples played file, I bring you Poktapok, or Pits, it's sometimes called. Yes, this is the game that the Mayans played, and there is no real modern equivalent. You might say something like soccer, perhaps basketball. They used a ball that was kind of like squash. Players would hit the ball with their elbows, their knees, or their hips. They were not allowed to hit it with their hands, their feet, or their head. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around how that would work exactly, but okay. It was very important to them. In fact, it was so important that sometimes they would settle tribal disputes this way. Unfortunately, if you weren't a big winner at Pock to Pock, you were what we call dead because they'd killed the people afterwards. They found this a useful way to wage war instead of waging war. I think it sounds a little bit like rollerball just without the motorcycles, but fine. 7th century sport might well have been different from ours, But recent research here gives us an insight into an aspect of this sport that nobody until now understood, which is how they made the ball. Well, anthropologist Juan Yeduan Angulo, an investigator at the National Institute of Anthropology and History of Mexico, discovered a tomb in the Temple of the Sun. Inside the tomb, he discovers a kind of an urn in the middle of a crypt. Inside the urn, ashes. 
And along the walls, a kind of oily black substance that seems to have been there for maybe 1,300 years. And after doing a sample analysis of the materials that was in the little urn and also along the walls, they've discovered that it was ashes from the bodies of presumably high officials, the sort that would have been cremated during important ceremonies and then used to harden the balls they used in Pak That's right. If you were a particularly successful Mayan dignitary, you could eventually grow up to be cremated and turned into a sports ball, which I suppose for them would have been a great honor. And as is often the case, my first instinct is to sort of chuckle at the silliness of it all. But then again, if you offered me as a big St. Louis Cardinals fan the chance to maybe when I die, offered to distribute my ashes, let's say on the pitcher's mound or into the middle of a baseball that was going to be game used or maybe to become part of the pine tar to be rubbed up again. I, I don't know. There's something about it that does start to be a little bit appealing, even though I'm sure it would be absolutely gross to everybody else. But then again, this is probably never going to happen because I'm not enough of a dignitary to qualify. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to this podcast and our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Before you go, make sure to harden your pock to pock ball by hitting the five-star review. I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.